the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. Greetings and welcome to the latest episode of AV Nation TV's Connected. I'm your host, David Danto, and we're going to do a little bit of a different show this time. Um, some of you may know uh, my, my prior lifetime and my prior career, I was on the broadcasting side of things. Um, and uh, one of the first places that I worked was a nice little company called Financial News Network. I was the uh, uh, director of engineering of the East Coast operation of that, worked with our West Coast colleagues and did some really wonderful things. We did a morning show on, for CBS owned and operated stations. I got to meet a lot of terrific people and I'm, I'm, I'm blessed that I've been able to stay in touch with many of them over the years. And one of them is joining me today, my friend, Ron and Sana. Ron, why don't you introduce yourself and let everybody know who you are and what you do? Well, David, you and I go back uh, to the, almost the beginnings of FNN. I started in 1984. Uh, and stayed there till we merged with CNBC in 1991. And I've been affiliated with CNBC either as an anchor or contributor for what will be 30 years on May 22nd of this year. Congratulations. That's a, you know, I wake up every day and, you know, when I'm combing my hair and say, who's this old guy looking back at me in the mirror? So, you know, it's, 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 <laughs> yeah. we've, been, we've been doing this for a while. A little um, yeah. So, so this, this, this webcast, we usually talk about the technology. What are the technology trends? What are we expecting in, in future? We had a great show. The last one was about what's it going to take for the office and the home to be, uh, you know, equity. And, and we do that. This is going to go a little bit differently because you've got, you know, a terrific background and business perspective. We'd like to get a little bit more understanding of what's, what's the reality in our space. You know, generally everything, but specifically what's going on in, in AV and live events and collaboration. So, so we'll kind of go in that direction. Um, my first question is, is what the heck is going on? Um, you know, we've 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 all barely survived this year, um, a little over a year at this point with this global pandemic. I never want to minimize how horrific it was and the cost, the human toll, and everything. That's not our subject, so we don't really go into it very often. But you know, we're now looking at a situation where, after all the years of remote collaboration just being tolerated, we're now at a situation where people realize, you know what, this kind of works. There are things that aren't good about it. We we would never have known if we didn't have, you know, this long experience, great social experiment. But, you know, we've got companies at this point, from what I see, shedding real estate. It looks like, you know, this hybrid thing, you know, some days in, some days out are going to be, you know, what we're going to be living with for quite a while now. What, what are your, what's your take on the whole situation, how it happened and, and what you think about remote working? Well, my understanding is that we crammed about five to six years versus of technological development in the first five or six months of the pandemic. So as soon as we realized, uh, particularly those of us who don't have, you know, these high touch customer facing jobs. As soon as we realized we could communicate effectively now what is Dick Tracy's video phone writ large, you know, and, and we can get in touch with anybody we want anywhere on the planet for extremely if low cost, if no cost at all. I mean, it, it did break the model of business travel, of event hosting, of interacting, you know, in and out of town. And, and, and we felt that immediately. And, and particularly in, in my, even in my work where I, I'm, I'm employed also by a financial firm that uses me to give speeches to the people that they sell to or represent them on the air. Um, everything I've done since I would guess last April um, has been virtual. And, and it's in every speaking gig that I get outside of, of, of the financial firm that I work with Schroeder's has also been virtual. And we're only now beginning to see requests uh, for in-person appearances. So, yeah, I agree that it's going to be a hybrid. I, I think, look, there is a fair amount of pent-up demand, I think, for people to, to get together and socialize. We're hearing from Las Vegas that events are starting to get booked for the fall. I've gotten some in-person requests 
beginning in August and, and going on through the rest of the year. Small numbers of, of requests. And, and always now there's a virtual fallback, which is also going to be an interesting component of this. So rather than, you know, if you have a snowstorm in some state where you had a planned event and they have to cancel the whole thing entirely, we'll just fall back on this, you know, for, for a wide variety of reasons. I don't know what the percentage is going to be. I think what's going to happen is that the the minimally important interactions, the stuff that you don't have to do in person, we're going to do like this. Bigger conferences, or if you need to be on the road to close a deal face-to-face, -face, you'll probably do that. And, and yes, there will be some reduction in square footage of, of office space, but not everybody's unified in that point of view any longer. There are CEOs who are saying, listen, we need team building, we need culture, and you can't do that on Zoom or WebEx or uh, Ring Central or even BlueJeans or whatever we happen to be using at any given time. So it's going to be a mix, I think the percentage of which is yet to be determined. Okay, that's fair. And you do know that there have been some CEOs that have come on um, to take the other side from Goldman and some of the other companies that said everybody's coming back and they said, I can't wait for the old stodgy companies to bring everybody back to the office because those are going to be the people that are easy to poach. Um, that, that, you know, it's that, it's <laughs> yeah. that evolve or die. So, you know, I, I, I guess I really don't know, except for the fact that companies have realized that they don't need to spend as much money on real estate in big cities anymore. And they're kind of embracing that. I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah, and, and I think, listen, young kids who aren't making a ton of money and, and want to go to Nashville or Austin's gotten a little expensive, but, you know, they want to go to some smaller cities in the U.S., get a better quality of life, better access to free education or, you know, lower college tuitions, things like that. Yeah, and, you know, we've had some big companies like Twitter, like Facebook and others say that, you know, virtual may be all year round. In, in which case, now, you may get a reduction in salary if you're being overpaid in Silicon Valley. Uh, but, but again, there's going to be more balance in, in the cost of living. And so I think a lot of companies will be pressured to offer, at the very least, a hybrid reality. And some companies that really just use technology like this as a matter of course will just say, go ahead and work from home. We, you know, it doesn't matter to us. It's going to be interesting to watch it shake out. So let's let's prognosticate just a little bit. I've got a couple of articles out there around the beginning of the year about dominoes. Um, and, and many people are not looking at this. Many people are looking at, you know, the, the first step, second step, third yeah. step in front of them that we're all dealing with. When can we come out? I'm, I'm scheduling a networking event. I used to do them quarterly in New York. I'm scheduling one for the end of June, and I'm giddy about it. You know, we can do that. I've got conference travel booked end of August, beginning of September. But there's going to be some long-term ramifications about this. Yeah. I mean, sectors that are just not in good shape. Obviously, you know, the live event sector, which we'll get back to, was pummeled, and, you know, it, it will eventually come back. But, you know, will movie theaters come back? If I can get, a you know, a 90- or 100-inch screen in my home, pop the popcorn for 20 cents, and pause it when I'm going to the bathroom with my Dolby 7.1 sound, do I really want to go to a movie theater to see that just for that experience? Well, it depends. I mean, do you want to sit alone in your movie theater or sit with your significant other in your movie theater and watch a raucous comedy with two people laughing? You know, I mean, we're, we're going to see Billy Crystal's new film that's coming out this weekend on, on, in, on May 7th. Uh, what is it? Uh, it, it it's uh, Still Here or something like that, I guess, is the title, um, with Tiffany Haddish. I'm going to the theater. I don't want to watch a comedy in my living room. You know, here in the East Coast, we, we had a, a period which in my area of New Jersey, everyone was building theaters, home theaters in their homes. I can't tell you how much those spaces have gone unused, right? I mean, people just, they, they do want to congregate, right? So movies are, I, I think, unique experiences like concerts or sporting events in that regard that, you know, if you're going to see a comedy 
sitting at home by yourself, yeah, you're going to laugh. And, you know, but it's a different experience than, than going into theaters. I think they're going to come back. Again, will it be what it was at its peak? Probably not. Will there be more special event type movies that end up on the big screen versus the small screen? Yeah, I mean, no matter how big your screen is, it ain't IMAX, you know, or it's, it's, it's not, you know, full size and there's no audience there to, to yell or cheer or gasp or whatever. Um, and again, as you point you know, out, the, the, the business transformation of it, we're probably not going to be interested in going to a 30-plex theater anymore to see things on a small screen. It's going to have to be a nice right. experience with grandeur and maybe contests and maybe a live element. You know, there, it's, it's, we're going to rebuild that industry. Yeah, kind of like the glory days of cinema. I mean, if you want to go back to the 30s and 40s, you know, where you'd get, uh, you'd get your cartoon, your newsreel, your B flick, and then your A flick, and, 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 and you go on. Um, yeah, I think it'll be more of an event. And, and, and listen, concerts are already starting to come back on. We're dealing with stadiums, you know, going from 25 to 50 to 75 to 100% capacity. You know, people do want to congregate. And, and, and I think, you know, if we can get past the last vestiges of vaccine hesitancy, this will be a lot easier. Um, that's probably the biggest impediment to people going all the way back. I'm not saying that we'll shed the hybrid experience, but if we were certain, if we were nearly 100% certain that we were not going to get felled by the virus uh, for going to any of these events, including movies, I think we would revert to much more normal pay, uh, behavior than people realize. And we'd still then utilize all these other technologies as needed uh, or as desired. Well, I've got concert tickets for July here in yeah. New Jersey as well in an outdoor venue. Um, I intend to go. I've had Broadway uh, tickets that have now been postponed like nine times. Broadway's yeah. not going to be financially viable if, uh, if if you only fill the theater 50%. It's going to have So there are those things that, that will always exist. But let's look at the bigger picture. If I'm not... I mean, I've lived in New Jersey my entire career. The reason I've lived 40 minutes from Manhattan is because I always knew I could work in Manhattan. Yeah. That's not the reality anymore. Now, right. you know, I, I could I could live anywhere. You've heard the term Zoom Town Boom. You know, people are moving to these smaller cities near family, quality of life that they want. There's going to be some long-term impact over that, around brick-and-mortar stores, around uh, retail and, and restaurant establishments that are meant for commuters that really aren't commuting at the levels they were anymore. And There's we're seeing have to be that already. Yeah, we're seeing that, you know, the, the commuter traffic that, you know, those small restaurants that serve people breakfast and lunch during a regular business day, you know, the, the mom and pop coffee shops that existed before, the diners and the delis, they're having a really, really difficult time. Now, we'll see what happens when the weather gets really warm. And let's say, use New York City as an example, people go back in and traffic's already starting to pick up. I was in there over the weekend. You know, the restaurant was pretty full. We ate indoors, you know, but that is more for destination restaurants that with reputations, those small, you know, off to the side convenience stores and things that are on the corners. We'll see whether they hold up if enough people go back to work, even on, let's say, a three out of five day basis. And yeah, we've and, and we've seen the pummeling that small business has taken. 400,000 businesses lost in the last year, you know, with 25 or fewer employees. They didn't necessarily have, they had no access to public capital and then they didn't necessarily get enough from the government to last a year you know they had just enough to make it a couple more months so it's a really important question and then beyond that the question is what replaces those establishments you know we're just going to be better hill people coming in with more money to, to kind of reopen a similar institution and and have adequate capital to survive an experience that would be adverse or are you just going to see more experiential type stores being put up everywhere where it's no longer a deli a diner or a mom and pop retailer 
Yeah, and then, you know, you can think of cities, I mean, I, uh, Toronto comes to mind as one of that I've been to, where the construction, you know, prior to the pandemic was off the charts, they yeah. couldn't spit without hitting a new condo, but most of it was residential. Um, yeah. They needed a place for people to stay. I think you're going to see cities like Manhattan and San Francisco and Dallas and all the rest of them. There's going to have to be some conversion of these big office towers as companies shed floors to being, you know, some type of residential experience, I would think. I mean, is that on track? Well, yeah, you saw that after 9-11 with Wall Street, right? I mean, it, Wall Street firms moved to midtown Manhattan uh, as a hedge against the risk of being at the at the mouth of the Hudson. And so they took all these former, you know, Wall Street establishment and turned them condo. And so, you know, then you had this kind of like gentrification of Wall Street, if you will, not that it, that maybe sounds a little too lofty as a word, but you saw um, uh, more of a, a residential experience in Southern Manhattan than we've ever seen before. Wall Street was always the financial center of Manhattan. Now it's really Midtown. And so, you know, that that could happen again. And, and we've not that there's a shortage of supply uh, in New York at the moment of, of rentals and, 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 and places to purchase, because, again, like you say, in Toronto, building was going wild prior to the pandemic in New York City. So you're seeing deals. Uh, my 23 year old daughter just got a three bedroom apartment in Brooklyn with two other girls and she's paying 700 a month. Now, it's tiny. I'll say that. But 700 bucks a month in a, in a, in a New York borough it ain't bad. And so you're seeing some deals uh, come on. And I, I suspect also you'll probably see a rush of kids move into these big cities as these deals come on. And then they get to experience some form of Manhattan that will be available to them when this is over. So you're saying the Brooklyn apartment that I was renting for like $400 a month when we first met that I could have bought for $20,000, two bedroom. Yeah. Um, I probably should have bought that one, right? You should absolutely should have bought that one. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, well, I didn't want to be in Brooklyn anymore, although you can't take Brooklyn out of the kid. No, um, okay. So, so then I'm, I'm passionate about how my industry, AV collaboration, more the AV side, um, has ha, from from its organization has done a disservice to its industry by not branching out more into IT spaces, by thinking that putting up a projector or a screen or, uh, has made people special, as opposed to thinking that it's just one more piece of technology. So I'm, I'm on record with that. We don't need to go into that. I'm going to be devil's advocate for a minute for some of the other people in the industry that are coming across here. These are, these are people that their entire lives have built um, uh, attractions at theme parks. They've operated sound and lighting in corporate venues and in professional venues. And for the most part, they, they didn't diversify into the technology that we came to rely on during this uh, pandemic. And, and they've been, for the most part, either out of work or looking for work for over a year. And, you know, I know, I know some, I've just recently seen on LinkedIn that some people are starting to hire and get jobs. So thank goodness. Yeah. And I'm very happy about that. But, but what do we say to the people that, that are skilled in this particular area that have been out of work and are looking to some of these new programs? I, I know that um, we've, we've, uh, uh, increased unemployment, you know, the amount of time that people can go for that. So that's the obvious. But is there anything in the in the rescue plans or anything else for retraining or revitalization or starting up businesses? Is, is there any lifelines for them or are we just kind of stuck off in a corner? I mean, I, well, it depends how you want to characterize it. I mean, with respect to retraining, if indeed the push now uh, to make community college tuition free and you need to go learn some additional skills. And, and again, in many cases, when you're looking at technology, an associate's degree is more than sufficient to get you hired at a company that wants to train you in their own uh, cultural idiom, if you will, and with their own technology. Uh, that's something that, you know, two years could be well spent, assuming this bill passes, that allows for tuition-free community college or some 
manner of retraining in, 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 on the technology side, whether it's the ability to code or design or, or, or do things like that. Um, having said that, I don't think the business is entirely dead. And, and I think, again, when you talk about hybrid models, you know, we, we may use a more sophisticated version of what we're using right now in the event that we can't get that big name to show up in person for an event where we're rewarding top producers in a particular business with a trip somewhere, whether it's Vegas, whether it's Phoenix, whether it's Los Angeles or Hawaii, what, you know, wherever, you know, Kiowa Island. And let's say the person that you most want can't show up. We're going to have a huge screen that we'll use, you know, in Zoom form that'll be better technology, uh, maybe even interactive because we now have a Q&A function and all these different uh, video technologies that allows the audience to interact more directly. So I, I think it's, you know, I don't think the industry's dead. I mean, I think, look, we've all been working from home. Those of us who can have been working from home for 13, 14 months now. And as much as I hate flying, and I flew 110,000 miles in 2019, barely flew it all last year. Um, till March 6th was my last plane flight of, of 2020. And then I just recently flew for the first time, uh, quick trip to North Carolina. You know, we're, we're going to want to do it again. I don't know if I ever want to do 110,000 miles in a year ever again in my life. I was gassed at the end of the year. Doesn't mean I wouldn't do 50. One, I get paid better if I show up in person, two to three times better. And, and that's true for everybody in our industry, right, that does events. So if you do them like this, you know, you're, you're, you're taking a huge haircut. And then again, from a company perspective, some of that travel was a reward, right? I mean, so I, I, I think companies will be um, reluctant to use anything other than these technologies for phone call type meetings, things that you could have otherwise done virtually. But when it comes to big events, you know, I still think they're going to have them because, again, there is this reward component. People like to congregate. They do like, you know, we all know what these business trips are like, right? They get a little out of hand. They get a little wild. And, you know, people get to blow off steam after, you know, several months of working hard. So I don't think it's going away. But I do think that um, anybody who's worried about their job should be looking at some sort of alternative form of trading that makes their job skills that they've accumulated that much more relevant going forward. That's really good points. Two, two things that I'll say to that, and I'll ask for your comment on. Um, the, the first one is just generally about attending business conferences. You know, I'm, I'm the million miler just like you. And I, you know, and I was, I was early March last, uh, last year was my last flight. It happened to be to Austin to, to, for a client event that we were doing. Um, and I've been staying home until my flight, which is coming up in a couple of weeks, the first one for a family party in California. Um, but uh, but the, the, the interesting thing about the conferences is when we went virtual, we learned, first of all, that a lot of companies that are really good at in-person conferences really stink at virtual conferences. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and some of them, you know, part of it is we, it's just the noise floor was too big. There was too much of it. But part of it was they really, you know, the technology, they didn't really understand what they were doing. They didn't understand the need for interactivity. Um, I remember attending CES, getting up at 7 in the morning to see a press conference, and it was somebody playing a, 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 a videotape of something he recorded three weeks ago. I had to get up for 7 a.m. for that. So, so anyway, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's, a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of that going on. But we've learned what we don't have virtually, organically anyway, is the camaraderie. Yes, yeah. I can hear from the important person. Yes, I can speak to the, 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 the expert and I understand what's going on. But I can't talk to my peer and say, what have you experienced? What's your company doing versus my company versus another one? So we've learned that these events are probably more important from the networking perspective than from the top-down communication perspective. Do, do you think that's kind of true in most of the industries that are dealing, that are yeah, dealing with Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we 
we all talk about the hallway conversation, the, the accidental meet and greet, you know, somebody that you didn't know you needed suddenly bumps into you in the hallway and, and, you know, you exchange business cards. The next thing you know, you're doing business. Now I happen to be affiliated with a company called Blitzer, which is, um, which does presentations, but then allows for one-on-one -on -one breakouts after you have the conversation. So we're creating a networking style uh, company there that allows for uh, that type of peer-to-peer -peer interaction. And we'll see how that goes. But yeah, generally speaking, I mean, whether it's catching up with a friend for a drink or a cup of coffee or whatever, a meal, uh, getting a group together where you can share ideas and build upon one another's you know, areas of expertise and opportunity sets, that is absolutely what's missing from these experiences. And then there's also Zoom fatigue. Like you can only do so many of these in a day before people really start nodding off, you know, and, and killing the sound, killing the uh, video. And, you know, look, there's risks, as, as we now know, uh, to being at home with a video camera, whether you remember or forget that it's on or off, that, you know, you, 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 you're creating a hybrid environment for yourself as well a hybrid physical environment where you might be wildly distracted and not paying as much attention as if you were in the hall, you know, focused on the task at hand. And so, th yeah, there are a wide variety of disadvantages relative to the experience that we've had. And then there are some advantages where you're not wasting as much time. Like if you do a half day Zoom experience and, and pack in as much content as you can and let people go, that's sometimes maybe better than two days in person where everybody's, you know, getting hammered and then, you know, coming hung over to the event and not paying attention anyway, right? I mean, so it, it, there's all kinds of, you know, from a practical perspective and a realistic perspective, pluses and minuses to both. Oh, boy, you, you said a mouthful there in that last one. You know, absolutely, the virtual events have gone on for too long. Who needs yeah. to attend a multi-day event where you can get it done in two hours? I mean, people just haven't realized that. The other thing I remember that when I taught broadcasting at the City University, the first thing that I told everybody is when you are in front of a camera, you must assume 100% of the time your mother and the Pope are on the other end. Exactly. You always keep, and, then, and, you know, we learned that for the most part in broadcasting, although you've seen some of the blooper reels like I have. But, <laughs> I'm sure I've been on some For the most part, it's, it's, it's the, the professional's generally don't have a problem remembering, oh my God, I'm on camera. Um, but the the other point of this is, and I wanted to get your opinion on this as well about the conferences, and you know, I'm being very specific to my industry now. Um, I'm, I am, um, I'm, I'm taking a vacation end of August because in January, when, uh, when Las Vegas rates came out saying, come stay, it's free, you know, come, come, it's like, and come anytime you want. It's like, yeah. okay, I'll gamble on August. That's fine. Uh, but then September 1st starts a, a conference called Cedia. Cedia is, a, is about, you know, the, the residential market, the home technology. And guess what? home technology is going to be really important going forward. So that's the first week of September. Later on in September is the rescheduled Enterprise Connect, which is the one around collaboration and communication. That's going to be taking place um, end of uh, September. Um, in October, uh, you have NAB, which has been rescheduled from April. You have uh, Infocom at the end of it, which is, was rescheduled from June. And then, yeah, you know, you've got... <laughs> right. And and then you've got CES again, you know, yeah. the, the first week in January, uh, which, by the way, I'm 100 percent booked for, because, again, if the rates are going to be that good, what the heck, you know, still getting yeah. gouged by the airline. But anyway, um, so my point is this. There are a number of pieces that are moving in those puzzles. Obviously, will it be safe to travel? Because if it isn't, I won't and nobody else will. But assuming we're vaccinated enough and it's safe to travel and people think about that, if you're a, one of the, the exhibitors for this typically for this show and you have done poorly because of the pandemic do you have the money to go and and if 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 you've done well 
do you need to go anymore? Are your marketing people saying, why, why did we need to bother doing this? We obviously didn't need, you know, the, 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 the exposure because, you know, we, we've, we've been going gangbusters. And then you have the other piece of this, which is all of those shows that I just mentioned, with possible exception of Cedia, um, I'm not sure, but possibly, are all postponed versions of shows that are going to take place on their regular schedule next year. So do I want to go to a, a business conference end of October when the next scheduled one is end of February? So uh, the, I, you know, it's going to be a ramp that, you know, you don't need a crystal ball to say that, but how do you see businesses and travelers and people looking at these? Is it, is it going to be a 3%? It's going to be 50%. Do you have any idea what your gauges as business travel picks up and not just in my industry, obviously, but in all industries? Well, so leisure travel is approaching pre-pandemic levels already. Business travel, you know, again, my my guess is, is, is somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 50%. Um, to start because, again, CEOs are going to say, do you really need to go? But there is this pent-up demand for the big event. And, and, and so let's say that, you know, you're looking at October and February. Maybe you do them both. I mean, maybe not. But, but the thing is, you know, there is some catch-up to being done. And there's also going to be this FOMO experience, the fear of missing out. Um, whether you can afford it or whether you, you, you're doing fine, uh, getting back to normal and reestablishing contact and I think promoting your business is, is, is going to be something that, that people will be reluctant to miss out on um, simply because of the opportunity sets that, that used to be presented. Now, whether or not the event organizers ultimately come to maybe streamline these, event, these events and make them more um, effective, more impactful, uh, more efficient, I think that might be ultimately a good thing. Do they all have to be three and a half days? You know, I mean, I've been to events that we literally could have done in, in a half day or one day that went on for two and a half. And, you know, there is a point at which you just naturally get tired. You want to get home. So I think it's an opportunity for event organizers to start thinking about how to maximize the impact of these events, maybe reduce the overall time commitment, but increase the efficiency um, and the optimization of the experience so that, you don't want to miss out on any of them, whether it's an October, February experience or October, October experience. But we'll see how these get redesigned. But I think, it, you know, it, it, as I think about it, when it's the first time I've really given it much thought, you can really optimize these experiences now and use multiple technologies and make them far more exciting, more impactful, more visually appealing than they have been in the past and, and maybe even less expensive so that everybody gets a shot at coming. And, and with, with hopefully with an eye toward what we were talking about a few moments ago, which is people are there to network and you yeah. need to have less scheduled things to do and more time in the schedule to actually allow for those, you know, impromptu collisions. Yeah. And look, I think and, and that's what everybody's missing, right, is the network effect, you know, which is, again, has always been important. And I've, I've thought about this a lot because when I started a fund of funds business after I left CNBC um, in 2006, I got onto Deutsche Bank's platform to sell the fund entirely by accident. It was a serendipitous serendipitous experience that a financial advisor in a parking lot under a New York restaurant asked me for my autograph. And I'm like, where do you work? And he says, Deutsche Bank. I said, what department are you? And he goes, oh, you know, we manage money and we're in alternative investments. I'm like, are you looking for any fund product? He goes, oh, yeah. And they got us in on the platform. So you just it's, it's that kind of thing where being around people who have like interests and again, that was completely random. But but when you're around people and you're walking through the hallways and you're like, you know, hey, I saw that piece you wrote. I don't know you, but I'd love to talk more about it. That that that's almost impossible to get in any other uh, environment. Yep. 
Totally agree. So, so one more tangent for us to go on is like we're preparing for these business conferences. Um, I told you I have a, a you just took your first trip to the Carolinas. I'm, I'm taking my first one to, uh, to LAX and, and in going to rent a car, um, I discovered that the luxury car was less expensive than the compact. Yeah. You know, and that's supply and demand gone haywire and that out oh, there, you know, there's, there's a shortage of rental cars right now. Right. We, we don't need to get into the whole detail of that because that itself could be an hour talking about what happened in the rental industry and, and, and you know, selling the vehicles. But but all of that ultimately boils down to what we're all going to be experiencing in business for the next year or two, which is this concept of supply chain going haywire. Um, you know, there's there's chip manufacturing shortage. It's not like you can just go and create a plant in a day. Uh, I know that there are a couple of companies doing it, but it's going to take yeah. them two years to ramp it up. Um, supply chain is going to be slammed in, in everything from products, from shipping the, the 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 boats stacked up in San Diego at the ports, not being able to unload because you don't have the people. Gasoline prices are going up in America um, because there aren't truck drivers to drive the delivery. So we're going to be in this a month, a year, two years. When do you think this starts to stabilize? Assuming by the end of the summer we're vaccinated enough to get back to what the closest to normal that will be. How do we deal with this? Because it's going to hit us across the board. Well, it's, us, it's literally hitting us across the board in lumber, which is now $1,600 per thousand board feet. There's a 4 million home supply demand imbalance in the United States, right? And at $1,000, lumber was adding $24,000 to the cost of building a home. So we've just gone up another 60%. So this is, this is getting kind of brutal. Copper's at 425 a pound, 450 a pound, somewhere around there. Um, yeah, freight impossible to find. I was talking to a chemical company CEO the other night. If you can book the freight, they're charging up for it, you know? And so I don't know, and and it's hard, and this is something the Federal Reserve and other policymakers are grappling with. Are we going to see a one-time piglet through the Python reset of bulging prices because of everything that transpired in the last year? And compared to last year when prices were inordinately depressed, it makes some of these jumps seem that much bigger because you're coming off really, really low base levels. And so the question going forward is going to be the rate of change and will it continue at the same pace that we're seeing right now? I don't have a good answer for it because, look, the government's going to spend $7 trillion over the course of two years. That's 30% of GDP. We haven't seen anything like that since World War II, if at all. And we have pent-up demand. There's $3 trillion of excess savings among households. So people are accommodating the price increases because they have the money, right, given to them by the federal government. So you're spending, or, or they're buying money. autographed baseballs or NFTs, one of the other. <laughs> yeah, they're buying the super pack from the NBA and then selling off individual pieces for 500 bucks a pop. Um, yeah, and so we have asset price inflation. We we have what appears to be an acceleration in real consumer inflation, and businesses are passing those costs on. And almost every CEO that you talk to sees upward pressures on input costs. So that's true across the board. Now, whether it is transitory, as the Federal Reserve describes it, I think is an open question. And it's, it's going to take us probably six months to a year to figure that out. And it'll probably be that long before the Federal Reserve acts to stop it if it thinks it's a problem or just a level set. So, so not that I would ever ask you to give anybody individually financial advice, but I'm going to ask you to give some financial advice. <laughs> um, just, just, just at a, just at a very high level. Do these stocks get pummeled? Does the market do a correction, or does everybody pretty much say, "Eh, it's across the board. Let's hold on and let's work through it." What do you think is going to happen there? And again, I, I, I'll never hold you to a crystal ball, but yeah. uh, your opinion certainly better than mine. <laughs> well, who knows? Um, 
What I would say is that um, generally speaking, everyone should be prepared for a 5 to 20% correction at any given time as far as the major market averages are, are concerned because they happen all the time, right? It just happens, right, for any number of reasons. The market's too frothy, as it might be right now. The Federal Reserve threatens to raise its rates but doesn't. Um, there's a possibility of a trade war with China, more sanctions on Russia, an interaction with Iran that pushes oil to 80 or or $100 a barrel. You pick the scenario in which people get frightened and sell off their big winners, you know, higher taxes, whatever. Um, net net, I would not venture to guess that we'll see a secular or long-term bear market in stocks until the Federal Reserve starts to change its mind about policy or unless there's a war on the imminent horizon. And, and, and so if, if anybody can tell me when those two things are, I'd be happy to, to put my finger on when the bear market starts. But there's just so much excess liquidity in the world right now that assets are going up in value. We have, as I said before, there's $3 trillion in excess savings. There's several trillion dollars on the sidelines as far as Wall Street funds are concerned. And, and we're going to see more government spending going forward with a Federal Reserve that has no intention this year anyway of raising interest rates. So you kind of hold your nose and hold on here. Um, individual stocks can get battered just because something goes wrong. But picking individual stocks is, is also very difficult for individual people uh, unless they're spending their time doing their homework and following and making sure they're staying on top of the news. So generally speaking, if you have a long-term retirement plan in place, there is not a lot to do if you're disciplined and steady and consistent in what you do. Um, that moment will come where you might want to raise cash levels. I, I don't see it tomorrow. I do see it coming at some point. I, just as a, di a diversion here for a moment, if I looked at the stock market and the financial markets, broadly speaking, in isolation of everything else that I know, I would say this is one of the craziest markets I've seen since 1999, right? I mean, I would say this is just nuts, speculating in crypto assets, speculating in NFTs, you know, the Robinhood traders, you know, totaling 13, 14, 15 million people who've decided that day trading like we did in 1999 um, is something that anybody and everybody can do. That stuff always scares the bejesus out of me. But uh, until or unless there's a reason for the market to go down meaningfully, it just goes on. I don't recommend day trading for individuals because I think it's a very difficult proposition, but people have made money and they won't be scared out of it until you see you know, meaningfully higher interest rates or some other catalyst that really knocks the market for a loop. I hope that works. That you know, look, your crystal ball, my crystal ball. Who knows? You know, it's all it's yeah. all depends depends on your balls. That's really weird. What we're talking about. <laughs> Listen, I, you know, you I've, I've heard that more than once. <laughs> I, I, I assume you would have. Uh, my friend, it was terrific catching up with you. It's really great uh, being able to get your information on uh, on some of these topics that are of interest to you know to my followers and the people in the industry. If somebody wanted to reach out to you. If somebody wants to get a hold of you. How would they find out more about you? I am on Facebook. I am on Twitter at Arinsana. I'm on Instagram and I'm on LinkedIn. So. They can find me in any of those four social media sites, uh, not giving out my home address or cell phone number. <laughs> <laughs> I, I certainly appreciate that. Uh, Ron, thank you very much uh, to everybody watching this. Uh, um, thank you for joining us for this episode of AV Nation TV's Connected. Uh, my name is David Danto. You guys know you can find me all across the uh, uh, social media sphere, except uh, if you're looking for my cousin, David Danto in Toronto. I'm not him, but uh, I'm everybody else. Um, for AV Nation TV, for the IMCCA, thanks very much, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you.